Hello and welcome to UC Today. I'm Senior Editor Tom Wright and today I'm joined by Theta Lake CEO Devin Redman. Thanks for joining us today, Devin. Thanks for having me. Great. So um, I was hoping just to kick off with you, be able to give us an overview of the challenges that you're seeing businesses face um, in terms of their collaboration tools, particularly with workforces probably more dispersed than they've um, ever been. Yeah, it's been an interesting time. You know, obviously the pandemic's challenged everybody for a variety of reasons uh, out there, uh, including the macro environment. Uh, but if you think about what businesses have had to do over the last, you know, call it 18 months where workforces really migrated to whether it was remote work or distributed workforce, now we're starting to see some signs of people kind of uh, coming back into some semblance of office environments. Uh, but all of that was really facilitated by a very rapid adoption of collaboration platforms. And it's really become a uh, collaboration first workplace uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and that that has been great and has proven the power of using those tools and kind of replacing a lot of the ways that we used to uh, use things like email or other communication channels. So nothing's gone away. That's always the interesting thing, which is, you know, we're still doing uh, plenty of email and loads of other things in that environment, but collaboration has definitely become the, the, the center point for those organizations. And because they had to roll out so quickly and, and frankly rolled out a variety of tools for different use cases, right? You might use one platform as your focal point for chat or file sharing, and you might use another one for voice calling, and you might yet use another one for video meetings and have all three of those work in your environment. And that very rapid adoption of those, I think, left a lot of organizations struggling or challenged with how do they uh, train employees to use the tools properly and not not make mistakes, uh, but also to prevent prevent risks happening in that environment, putting the right guardrails around uh, how people behave in that, what information gets shared, making sure that they can track or capture or meet their regulatory obligations uh, around compliance for that environment. And so we're, we're starting to see in particular based on what we do is kind of what I like to call the reconciliation of all of that, right? If the first phase was, look, we have to keep the business going, we have to keep information flowing and people communicating. So let's roll out all of these platforms and enable that, which actually worked quite successfully. And I think everybody should be quite proud of what we've been able to do with, with collaboration tools from a business perspective. But now the next phase is, okay, now everybody is here and all of our information is going through these channels. How do we get our arms around that and, and really deal with some of the risks that have come from that? Yeah, so as you said, businesses had to kind of stay operating, but in that sense, security and compliance didn't go away. They still had to kind of maintain these standards. So how did businesses kind of keep that going and move to collaboration tools? Has it just been kind of makeshift platforms that they've been kind of trying to kind of, you know, hobble along with? Yeah, it's been really interesting to, to kind of watch how organizations have very quickly rolled out the collaboration platforms, but not as quickly figured out where the actual security and compliance gaps are around that. So I think security teams already had a uh, tremendous challenge in terms of how they have to protect data in their organizations, compliance teams as well. Uh, and you can see that uh, in evidence of you know the, the fines, whether it's from the FCA or whether it's CFTC or SEC in, in North America or other regulators uh, around things like communication supervision failures, right? Those fines have been increasing steadily even during the pandemic. Um, the fines doubled year over year. So from 2020 or 2019 to 2020, they more than doubled in terms of the amount of fines levied against financial services firms. 
for supervision failures, meaning their obligation to review the communication that their employees are having, whether it's internally or with the public, to make sure that they're not doing things like collusion or misleading or taking advantage of consumers. Those had already been doubling going into the pandemic, right? If you, if you think about most of those fines being levied in 2020 as things that happened probably in 2016, um, you know, that, that rate was steadily increasing. And then you realize that that was based on the old tools that people were using to communicate. Now you let everybody loose on these new collaboration tools, which are uh, basically full of blind spots uh, for those organizations, right? They have tools and infrastructure in place for monitoring calls or monitoring emails uh, that already were struggling to keep up with what they needed to do. Now you move everybody to channels that they aren't typically monitoring in that environment. And you have all of these new blind spots that are frankly just not being captured, not being properly surveilled. Maybe there are some stopgap mechanisms using legacy tools um, where they can apply something. But for the most part, um, you know, it's been a very difficult journey for folks in risk and compliance. And, and you know, I, I, I uh, certainly don't use this as a scenario where you kind of point the finger because it's a very difficult challenge. And if you think about the fact that if you moved all of your employees remote suddenly and where you don't have control over the environment, you may have some control over the device. You may have a little control over the things that they access on the network. Uh, but then everything else is suddenly out of your control. It's it's a very difficult thing to uh, plan for as well as orchestrate a solution. Uh, and, and if you think about the reality of how most of that infrastructure used to work, uh, you know, it was premised on something like you, you own your email infrastructure typically, right? So you control and you can see and monitor emails going in and out of your organization, whether it's on a physical premise and you have everything tightly controlled in your network there, or whether it's people operating remotely, but you still own the inbox uh, that they're operating from to now uh, you move everybody to a platform you know, from Zoom or WebEx or Teams or Slack uh, where they have access to all of the information on their desktop in their physical environment uh, that they can get from the network and all they need to do is share a screen or upload a file or share a SharePoint link. Uh, and all of those things um, uh, are, are often not monitored or captured at all in that environment. Uh, and, and that creates just this uh, massive overhang of risk that we'll probably start to see the reconciliation of this year. Uh, we'll probably start to see the manifestation of some of the, the outcomes from having those things happen in that environment. Uh, and if you think about the tool sets that were typically in place, they are designed uh, for things like email, where you are used to capturing uh, an email infrastructure uh, or an email message, which is text-based, right, at the end of the day. Uh, and that text-based content is very different from what you get in a mixed-mode chat or inside of a video meeting. Uh, and, and that difference of, of how the technology works is a very fundamental thing that can create some, some significant challenges. And I suppose it's interesting the dynamic of what we consider to be formal communication, because typically email has always been you know, a solid record of what businesses are doing, a chat perhaps been a bit more informal. But now huge business conversations and decisions are being taken using these platforms, even things like acquisitions. So that must be a bit of a shift yes. in, inside companies in terms of how they approach this. Yeah, and it's very interesting because the, the way you use a, a platform like chat in particular 
Uh, and I, you know, I think this is one of the proving grounds where there's a, a, a lot of history of monitoring electronic written communication. There are a lot of regulations around that, and there's an expectation to do monitoring there. Video is a relatively new concept, I think, for a lot of organizations in terms of how you would monitor it and, and something certainly that, you know, as, as a pioneer in that space, we, we've spent a lot of time. But if you come back to chat, um, yeah. Unlike an email where you send an email and then you get a response and then maybe that's the end of the thread and it's kind of point in time communications. Uh, when you start a chat conversation and invite users, whether it's private and it's just two people or whether it's three or four people and maybe they cross organizational boundaries uh, and you've invited them into your chat, it's an ongoing conversation, right? It persists. So that is always available, whatever channel it is you've created or whether private chat you've created, it persists. It can span weeks, months, uh, you know, multiple months in that environment. And that creates an additional burden, which is it's persistent and exposed, but also you have to navigate a timeline, right? If somebody promotes a, you know, in a financial services uh, context, a stock symbol or a ticker or mentions a prospectus, and then two weeks later, somebody goes back and puts a reaction on that. Maybe it's a thumbs up or it's a like. That has a very different connotation uh, that could be seen as an endorsement, and that is something that requires supervision in that environment. Uh, but that model for using those tools um, uh, doesn't really exist in the paradigm of the old monitoring tools that you might have, right? So email typically struggles with the fact that that conversation is ongoing and how to properly reflect uh, the participation in it versus things like a to and a from, right? That's how you think of, of an email, right? The sender and the recipient. Uh, if you're trying to construct that in an email archive on something that spans multiple days, uh, you should just have that as participants. It's not necessarily a to and a from, and the searching of that model is, is very different. And so that creates not only gaps in how you're capturing the content, but then when you have to supervise it, should there be an issue, should a regulator come to you, navigating that and trying to search that becomes particularly hard on compliance teams uh, and creates a, a lot of friction for them to uh, actually do what they need to do with that content. And that shift to those modes of communication uh, is tremendously challenging. I've seen some interesting things on your website as well about how important um, the context is to these situations. And it's quite easy to not have that context if you're pulling out kind of chat histories and storing them in the way you would before. So, you know, these, um, I lose my way in my own text message threads, let alone kind of business um, threads. So it must be a tricky one as well yeah. for businesses to be able to keep track of all these conversations, often multiple subjects in the same thread with, with a lot of people. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, but like I mentioned before, too, it's, it's, you've got these multiple conversations within a conversation. You have the ability to change the context of something by reacting to it or uh, adding an emoji or even adding things like visual images or GIFs or anything else inside of that that uh, can change the entire intent or the tone of something inside of that. And that could be, um, something that causes a regulatory issue, or it could be something that is an HR abuse issue, or it can even be a security incident. Uh, there was an interesting uh, report that just came out this week uh, from Osterman Group uh, that was a survey on Teams and Teams usage. And one of the things they noted that over the last 12 months, uh, 20 more than 25% of the respondents uh, noted that uh, issues with individuals trying to circumvent uh, security or trying to share information inappropriately uh, 
was done using things like chat channels because they knew there was no monitoring there. And also you can share a ton of information there, right? You can share a link to a download site where you can grab something. You can share a link to SharePoint uh, where files may persist. You can put a file directly in there. You can put images. You can even record a video and then put a video inside of your chat message. And all of those things are typically not captured and not monitored as extended content types or they're not correctly captured. Uh, and it's a, it's a challenge that I think the user population, whether they are intentionally or accidentally uh, oversharing information, uh, is somewhat aware of. And I think firms and organizations are struggling to deal with. That was going to be my next question, actually. What's the sort of awareness of this challenge, both in terms of the end users who may accidentally be doing some of these things and also the people whose job it is to kind of keep these um, keep these chats secure and compliant? Where are we in that, that cycle? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, when we talk to organizations, I think there's a, an awareness that this is one of the, the top things that they're going to need to be dealing with over the next, you know, call it 12 months. Um, I think there's a there's maybe a, a false hope or a naive hope that some of the things that they've been doing have been helping them with this and reducing that. Um, we certainly have not seen a significant amount of evidence that there are really pervasive, good, comprehensive monitoring tools on that front. Uh, and that creates this scenario where if you go back and even you see some of the impartial coverage or impartial capture and archiving of that content, you will start to notice that there are both gaps in your information and likely within those gaps or around those gaps, you will start to see indicators of risk. And so um, our, our perspective is we're just at the very beginning of organizations starting to be truly aware of what has happened over the last little bit. I think there's an inkling of, hey, this is going to be a risky issue. And I think if you look at highly regulated firms, uh, they have been very cautious in how they've adopted some of the features of these platforms. Uh, and there's been a, um, a decent amount of tension, I would say, uh, internally in terms of how can we adopt it, but how do we turn things off, which is, you know, its own challenge, right? Uh, if you, if you want to leverage the full capabilities of rich information sharing platforms, which end users, employees, uh, the partners and customers they interact with all want to use those features, but you disable them because you're worried about risk you create a uh, negative impact on productivity, on the top line value that those tools can, can create. Maybe you've reduced some of the risk, but typically what ends up happening is uh, those employees will follow the path of least resistance, right? So they will use the platforms that are non-sanctioned, that are outside of monitoring, and yes, it violates policy, and no, they shouldn't do that, but at the end of the day, everybody has to work, and, and in this challenging environment where you're remote from everything, you will use the things that allow you to get your job done the best and the fastest. And that just creates a, a, a broader opening of risk. So I, I would say uh, firms that are highly regulated, such as financial services, uh, are aware and have tried to prevent uh, the scenarios for those risks to occur. But that creates itself a, a, a new category of risk, which is people avoiding uh, the channels that are provided by the organization and using others or creating quite a bit of um, uh, uproars, not quite quite the right word, uh, but really discontent and demand to be able to leverage the, the right features. And at the end of the day, the business always wins in those arguments. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time, but uh, the business usually prevails 
uh, and then once they prevail, you start using those tools. And so now is kind of that time uh, where I'll use that word reconciliation again, where compliance teams, surveillance teams uh, all want to uh, put programs in place and, and be able to do things on that front. From, from the employee front, it's also very interesting because I would say uh, the employees that are intentionally trying to uh, circumvent controls and maybe do things that that uh, aren't always on the up and up uh, know that these channels are not monitored and are more likely to try and use them and focus their conversations there. But I, I always think of that as a very small segment of the uh, employee population. I would say there's a much bigger segment, you know, call it 20% or so, um, that don't know the rules of the road or make mistakes in these environments, share the wrong thing, show the wrong thing, uh, don't understand that this should be a professional workplace. And so maybe they're too, a little too casual in, in the way they communicate or too aggressive in the way they communicate on these platforms. Um, and, and some of that is based on unawareness. Some of that is based on lack of controls that kind of put the guardrails around them. And some of that is also about training and training people that, you know, just the way we used to have workplace conduct training uh, for the physical locations, you now need it for what you do in the four corners of the screen and in a chat window or in a video meeting. And then to, I suppose, perhaps flip this on its head a little bit, is it more than just doing this and installing these solutions because you have to? I'm sure it's gathering a lot of data. There must be insights that businesses can take to kind of, you know, take positive steps rather than just covering themselves against, you know, worst case scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, there's a there's a tremendous amount of data that gets communicated in, in, inside of these platforms. And I think there are lots of opportunities for uh, businesses, in particular regulated firms, to kind of understand both how the, the platforms are used, understand what type of data is most commonly shared on them, not, not just from a risk perspective, but so that they can optimize the tools to uh, facilitate those types of business processes. Um, they can also take insights out of that uh, and leverage that for downstream business intelligence. Uh, I also think it's a tremendous opportunity to improve things like data privacy controls. Uh, this is something we talk about a, a lot with organizations, which is you know, th their pre-existing archive infrastructure was really designed for a time uh, when capture was first and foremost, right? You need to capture the communication and archive it, and then you go back and search it later. Uh, and the reality over the last five years is that the need to protect private data, whether it's protect it from being breached and exposed or protect it because you shouldn't necessarily always be holding the data of somebody uh, that you don't need to hold, um, is more and more important. And so thinking thoughtfully about how you construct an architecture that is designed to solve the compliance challenges to make sure you're protecting consumers from misconduct or protecting your employees from being abused or making mistakes is present, but also at the same time, the data that you collect and being able to do things like redact a credit card number or redact a NINO or a social security number directly in that uh, content as you're capturing it. Note that you captured a NINO, but not exposing that set of digits to anybody else inside of the system and, and doing that in a very intelligent way so that Yes, you are collecting the communications and you're doing that for safety purposes. It's also a potential opportunity to leverage the business insights, but you're doing that in a way that is proper to protect the data itself at the same time. Uh, and I, I think those opportunities are starting to present themselves as firms and other types of organizations modernize that compliance infrastructure. 
Okay, and then my final question for you, Devin, is we've um, covered quite a lot of big news coming out of Theta Lake over the last few months, um, particularly quite a lot of interesting partnerships with some of the big names in the industry. But would you be able to give us any clues about what we could expect to see from you over the course of this year and into next year? Uh, that's terrific. Well, you will see a lot. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, our, our aim is to always be at the forefront of innovation, uh, really tied very closely to the, the broadest set of partners uh, in the space. So uh, whether it's the top leaders who have been dominating the market or whether it is the new folks that are coming onto the scene uh, in voice, video, chat platforms, uh, we will continue to uh, really try and blaze a path forward uh, in those relationships. Um, I would stay tuned over the, the next few weeks and, and you'll probably see some uh, interesting news with some of uh, the top providers in the, the full suite capabilities of voice, video and chat. Um, I'd also say a lot of the things that we've been working on um, uh, over the past few years are starting to come to fruition. So uh, many of the patent pending technologies will move from pending to, to patented on, on what we've done. Um, uh, previously, uh, and then we'll just continue to really be focused on solving the customer needs. And so I would expect that you'll probably see quite a few customer stories uh, talking about how we've been able to help them uh, both solve for the risk side of it and reduce the risk, but really at the end of the day, let them use those rich collaboration tools to improve their business and improve their top line capability without increasing the cost. And I think that's one of our uh, mission statements or endeavors is to kind of reduce the cost of compliance uh, so that it's not a drag on that top line capability that, that collaboration tools implement. Okay, great. Well, we'll certainly look forward to seeing that news um, come out over the next uh, few weeks and months, but thanks so much for your time today. Uh, no, thank you very much. Appreciate the time as well. And thank you everyone for watching. If you enjoyed the video, please, as always, give us a like and share on social media and we'll see you next time.